line of thinking on this particular area. And, and I just really want you as an individual. Only you can assess your life. Only you can judge for where you are in life and in your walk with God. And I'm just going to, what I feel is, is release thoughts. And you allow the thought that needs to land in your heart to land in your heart. Because some of it will affect you, some of it affect the person next to you, some of it affect only the person on the back row, some of it may affect every single one of us. But you receive from God what, what God wants to say to you today. So you know, as we look through the Bible, I don't know about you, but Paul is, is one, of, one of the characters in the Bible that really quite fascinates me. Um, because he had a past life, and you see in depth what his past life was like. Uh, with Peter, we know he was a fisherman. We know he was a bit raw. With James, we know he was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, with John, we know he was the disciple that Jesus loved. But we, we know much more about Paul as an individual and his past life. And Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And the words that he used, he used words specifically and on purpose and in such a way that they would grab the attention of the hearers. He used words and terminologies that uh, wherever he was and wherever he was at any given time, those words were specific and would capture the attention. If he was in Corinth, the words that he used there, or if he was in Rome, the words he used there. If he was in Ephesus, he would use what was around him. And, you know, one time he was up on, uh, up on, the, uh, on the hillside and he, he turned around and said about the unknown God and then begins to tell them about this unknown God because he was the one and truly only God that there was. And he just used the surrounding area of where he was to speak specifically into de- different people's lives. His words were used as debates. His words and teachings were, were penned down. And the fact that we've still got those words as letters, letters to the churches, and they're still letters to our life today. And those words that he wrote were full of power then, which built the church, and they're still full of power today. And I think it's amazing that for 2,000 years, the church has taken on different forms and different ways and different directions, but actually it's still based upon the, the truths of God's word, spoken in Acts 2, verse 42 to 46, um, basically that the church would be founded on four things, the apostles' doctrine, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. And I love the fact that you go to any church and the basic of that church will be founded on those four things. So Paul was a master communicator. He was a master wherever he was. He was like a, is it a chameleon or whatever it is. It, he blended in to wherever he was. If he was speaking to slaves, he had a way in which he could speak to the slave that that would would help them understand where he was and and how they could live strong in God. If he was speaking to to the free, he could speak in such a way that he could incorporate truths that would help them in their journey. Every sphere of life he was able to speak into. He was trained as a Pharisee. Now, what you, when you think of the Pharisees, you know, we, we, Pastor Andy would often say the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the wouldn't sees, and the couldn't sees, they were very much the religious order of the day. They were the, the high priests of the day. They were the religious individuals that put so much pressure on the everyday people that they didn't feel 
the everyday people didn't feel that they could match up to God, they couldn't connect with God, and that the Pharisees had it all together. In fact, that's what they were. That's what you see today. If you see someone that thinks they've got it all together and they're never wrong, you may want to call them a Pharisee. But don't. That's not very nice to do, right? Just don't do it. But that's what they were. That's what Pharisees were. They thought they had it all together. And Paul was trained under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the leading authority in the Sanhedrin in the first century AD. He was the top of the tree. He was the best of them all. And Paul was trained under him. And Paul said some things about his life and about this, this life that he had. And I want us to have a look really biblically of who Paul saw himself before he had an encounter with God. In Acts Chapter 22, verse 3, Paul is speaking and he says this, I am indeed a Jew, born of Tarshish in Cilicia, brought up in the city under the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers, uh, of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are today. So he's talking to the Pharisees. He was speaking about um, his Pharisee life and what it looked like. And he was saying, I was as zealous as what you are today. I was brought up with such strictness in my uh, understanding under Gamaliel. And then in Philippians 3, he enlightens a little bit more about his life and his journey. And it gives us these insights into who Paul is. In Philippians 3, verse 4 to 6, it says this, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. It sounds like Paul's beginning to boast here. You know, me more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's a pretty tall order, Paul. You know, you're, you're boasting of yourself and, and, and what you are saying about yourself. You're, you're basically saying you're the best of the best. Paul's religious training and zeal as a Pharisee was exemplary. It was beyond what anybody else had encountered. He was without fault. In his word, he was blameless. You know, I don't suppose any of us could sit here this morning and say, I've had a blameless week. You know, is there anybody here that thinks, you know, in our natural self, can we sit here this week and say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't say anything wrong. I didn't behave wrong. The Bible says whatsoever isn't of faith is sin. So if, we have, if we've lived a perfect faith-filled life this week, great. Let's change places. All right? He was, but in his sight, he was blameless. Now, that's pretty tall order. In his understanding, in, in his understanding, and his zeal for God was out of this world. But you know what? There was one problem. He was running in the wrong direction. He was running after man-made religion rather than running with a relationship that was real with God. And I believe there are many people in churches today 
who are running after a man-made religion rather than having a real relationship with God. And we have a zeal, we have a passion, but we're running in the wrong direction. Then there are people who are in this world and they don't think God is real. They don't think that there's a realness. They think it's a fairy tale, a wonderful book, a historic, but not for me. And they're running in the wrong direction instead of having a real relationship with God. And Paul, in all his learning, all his understanding, all his passion and zeal, was actually running in the wrong direction. But suddenly, in a glorious moment of transformation, Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And and in this room, there are many, many individuals who have had this same kind of encounter. We've had a Damascus road experience where we were running in one direction, wanting to do what we thought was the right thing. And all of a sudden, bang, we we encounter God, and then we realize we've been running the wrong direction all our life, and then we begin to walk with him. This one encounter of Paul's took him on a journey of seeking God or seeking Jesus for the rest of his life in a holy pursuit of God. It changed his life forever. And I want us to read this particular moment where Paul who was the Pharisee of Pharisees, encounters Jesus in his life. Because this can be your experience today, and it could be your experience from now on as you pursue him with all your heart. In Acts chapter 9, we read these words from verse uh, 1 through 6. It says, Then Saul, still, it's Paul and Saul, same person, Then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he was so anti the church. He was so anti the Christians at the time. So Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Today you may be hearing, Saul, Saul, why are you ignoring me? Or, I don't want to grab anybody's particular name. I don't think we've got a Bert. Bert, Bert, why are you ignoring me? Bert, Bert, why aren't you following me? I'm trying to think of a lady's name now. I thought of Hazel, but we got one. I thought of Margaret, we got one. I thought... Betty Joyce, (laughs) Betty Joyce, why, why aren't you hearing me? Do you you know what? 
Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. You may have had one encounter with God in your life. You may have had multiple encounters with God in your life. You may never have had an encounter with God in your life, but today, you're going to have one. And just like Saul, on the road to Damascus, to persecute the Christians, he heard these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Isn't it interesting? Paul, Saul, wasn't persecuting Jesus personally. He wasn't nailing Jesus to the cross because he had already been nailed there. But when he touched Jane, he touched Jesus. When he touched Simon, he touched Jesus. That's how Jesus views his church. The gathering of the body of Christ. When the enemy touches the church, he touches Jesus. And when he touches Jesus, Jesus has never none of it. Why are you persecuting me? We should never, ever speak negatively about his bride the church is the bride of christ we should never speak badly of the bride if there's something you don't like about church keep it to yourself pray about it take it to him but never ever speak badly about his bride he takes it personally Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. And we know that when he got up from off the floor, he was blinded by the bright light that had happened. He had to be led into the next city and, and he, he couldn't, he, there was no returning of his eyesight. And the Lord spoke to Ananias and Ananias, a disciple of the Lord, said in the middle of the night, what me? Go to Saul. He's there ready with letters to persecute the church. And he said, no, he is called of me. Go. He went in, he healed, prayed for him. His, eyes, his eyesight was returned and Paul then rose up as a believer and went out and preached Christ crucified. The one in whom he, he persecuted, he then went out preaching the same message. How wonderful. Incredible story. Go and read it for yourselves. It's a historic part of our Christianity. You may be thinking, why? Why, why am I speaking about the backstory of Saul? Why am I speaking the backstory of Paul's life? Well, Paul thought he was doing okay. You know, right now in your Christian life or your non-Christian life, you may think you're doing okay. You may think everything seems to be doing okay. I'm all right, Jack. But is all, all right good enough? What a shame it would be if we settled for it's okay when we could be settling for it is great. 
It's okay when we could be settling for it is well with my soul. Wouldn't it be a shame if we settled for less than the more that he has? In fact, Paul thought his life was okay, but actually it was more than that. He thought he, as an individual, was simply the best. He thought he was more than okay. He thought he was the bee's knees. He thought he was the best of all the Pharisees that were around. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He thought he was simply the best. He thought he was, in his zealousness for God, in person, the person to keep in the church, he was doing the will of God. How mistaken can you be? He thought he was running in the right direction. He thought he was in the right lane. In fact, he thought he was winning the race. Come on, let's consider our journey. What are we considering being a part of this race? Are we running our best lap? Are we actually on the right track? Are we actually heading in the right direction? Are we... Are we Running our best, or are we just chilling out on the racetrack? What, what does this look like for you? Because Paul thought he was doing okay. He thought he was in the right direction. He actually thought he was winning the race. But the race was going that way, and he was going that way. He thought his life was consumed with doing the will of God, but he was completely deceived. Jane's message last week, she was speaking on the tender mercies of God and that how it is God's will that none should perish and that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. It's, it's God's tender mercies that are sent out, that we encountered that moment that caused us to go from running in the wrong direction, having an encounter with the tender mercy and the grace of God that causes us to turn 180 degrees. We repent from our life and we walk and we head off in a new direction. It is only when we encounter God that we can experience that life transformation. So in many senses, Jane kicked off this series of thought because we could never get on track except for the tender mercy and the grace of God. Romans 10 verse 13 says this, For who ever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. I love that because you've got, you got intellectuals in the room. I've asked this before. Who went to university? Give us a wave you went to university. Look at all the intellectuals. The rest of us are thick. Sorry. You, if, you, if you've got a degree and you didn't put up your hands, it's too late, all right? If you were shy, Sorry. So we got, some, we got one or two intellectuals. The rest of us... No, I'm not going to go there again. It was funny the first time I rubbed salt in the wound. I didn't go to university. So we got some intellectuals. We got some thick. We've got some practical. We've got... When I'm hungry and I preach, I say the wrong things. I'm so hungry. I could say anything right now. I, had a, I even had a, I had a chocolate biscuit before preaching this morning, just in case. And I'm so hungry. So you better watch out. If I, if I offend anyone, don't take your fence, all right? Your fence panel, it will cost, cost you your life. I've got lost. I've, I'm lost. 
Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, all right? Whosoever. It it covers every single person. That's what I was trying to get to. Salvation isn't just for the brainy. It's not just for the foolish. It's not just for this. It's it's for the whosoever. We call upon the name of the Lord. That's why you've got... That's why we've got cultures of every type of nation in the room. That's why we've got people who used to be party goers. They're now they're out partying in the house of God. You've got now people who are you know, bookworms who are now in the house of God. You wouldn't get this diversity in the pub. Well, you might, but not very often. <laughs> Depends what pub you go to. I'm not saying what, what type of people go to the pub, all right? Ah, here. Give me a shovel. Give me a bulldozer. Someone, help. Lord, help me. Yeah, move along. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move along. In this moment, in this moment in Paul's life, on the road to Damascus, he has a life transformational moment. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you had a transformational moment. For me, I was running around gospel in my leather jacket. I've got a photograph of my... There you go. Me at 20, running around gospel, leather jacket, leather gloves, black sunglasses, wanting to blow the kneecaps of drug dealers with my Magnum Python Dirty Harry gun that I carried in my holster all of the time. But God. For you, yes. (laughs) For you, it may have been a quiet moment in church that you came along, you encountered God, you hadn't done many things wrong, but God, there was a life transformational moment. It doesn't matter how it happened. One moment you were going this way in the wrong direction, the next moment you were going this way, walking with God with a heart for him. It was life transformational. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know what it feels like. But it's something like having a really dirty garment, chucking it into the washing machine and having it come out and you think, oh, that smells good and fresh. That's how different salvation is. It is dark and light. It is lost and found. It is hopelessness with hope. It transforms your world. And Paul had this life transformational moment. He stepped out of the lane that was in darkness and he stepped into a new lane that led him into the light. He stepped out of the lane that was wide and broad and he stepped into the lane that was narrow and difficult, but it was heading towards Jesus. That's the power of the cross to everyone who believes. My heart is that we as individuals begin to run in the right lane. What does that lane look like for you? What does this race look like for you? I believe the Christian walk, as you can probably tell, the Christian walk should be passionate. It should be full on. It should be full on all of the time. It should be until Jesus comes or I go to be with him. 
I don't believe that we should be taking our foot off the accelerator and just taking it easy for a little while and just gliding along. No, no, no. There should be a hot pursuit, a passionate pursuit for Christ. Until death do us part. Until I've given up on this earth and I'm with him in glory. That we would run in the right lane and our lives would be filled with a passionate pursuit of Jesus who died for us and rose again and for the kingdom of God. I've got two questions I want to ask you today. Are we running in the right lane and heading in the right direction? That's one question with two parts. Are we running in the right lane and heading in the right direction? And are we running after God with a passionate pursuit for him and for his kingdom? Like I say, only you can answer that for you. Only you can answer what that looks like for you. Now, if the Christian walk was a 100-meter dash, then you would be legging it as fast as you could. But it's not. It is for the rest of your life. So therefore, we're not a 100-meter sprint. Otherwise, your Christianity is like this. You run like mad. (sighs) You recover for a while. (sighs) You think, I need God back in my life. And then you go again. And then it's like this, and like this, and like this, and what sort of existence is that? The Christian life is a consistent jog or run in a passionate pursuit for him every day of your life for the rest of your life. And that's what the Christian life should be. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to continue to develop this thought, because I think there's so much to dig out here. Because I see... Not only our church, I see other churches and I see what goes on in other churches and other church leaderships um, and other denominations. I see what goes on. And there is such, we're living in an age where there is very little passionate pursuit after God. The New Testament church, when all the persecution, and if you, you said you were a Christian, you could face death. The church was alive. It was vibrant. It was reaching the lost. It was imparting truth. It lived its Christianity for everyone to see, regardless of the consequences. Today is about a holy huddle that gather in a room that doesn't want to get out into our world. Something's going to change when we run in our best race. When we say, I'm going to run my best lap, not just this year, but for the rest of my life. Are we running our best lap? Now, before I get into this too far, I've got to address this thought. You may turn around and say, I hate running. (laughs) I'm too old to run. Um, I I never liked running at school. I'm not going to start doing it now. Okay, let's address that in the room, all right? I'm not talking about physical running, it's spiritually running. Oldest person in the room. My mum is 82, I think. Anybody beat 82? Nobody beats 82. My mum joined the hosting team at 82. That means everyone can join the hosting team. We don't need everyone on hosting, all right? Please, you know, 
But there is absolutely no excuse. If my mum at 82 can join the hosting team in a year where she lost her husband, then everyone can join the hosting team. Careful what you say, Jeff. All right. Careful what you say. You might think, be thinking, running, hate it, but you running and doing one thing in church helps someone else not do five things in church. It makes sense, doesn't it? I, I, I'm, Adele's gone, I can talk about her. And Carl. <laughs> Adele's come in, and in week one, she turned around to us and said, I love doing momentum. I nearly cried on the spot. We've been doing momentum for seven, eight months, nine months. I'm not a youth leader. We've done with our youth. They're too old. We're done. And now we're running a youth group. It's like, no, don't give me youth. No. But we, 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 we love it when we're here. But at five o'clock in the afternoon, we're sat there at the table saying, five hours on our day off, we'll be home. So when Adele came in, it's like, answer the prayer. You don't, you, if you don't believe in prayer, that is an answer to prayer. Right? And if you're sat here thinking, oh, I didn't know you needed youth workers, talk to us. We want a team so we can have a day off and chill together and go somewhere and do something and not have to rush back and set up and run kids for five. Well, they don't do five hours, but by the time we set up and we've done everything and backed away, hoovered the room, it's five hours. Are you running your best race? I feel like I am. I feel like I'm running my race and I'm running somebody else's. I love doing youth, Danny, just so you know. I love doing youth. Annabelle, I love doing youth. Anybody else's youth in the room, I love doing youth. Asher and Asher, we love it, all right? But I feel like I'm running my race. Jono, come here, come here, come here, come here. I was just checking out who, who could be the easiest person to do this. All right, here we go. Turn around. Oh, no. I should... Here we go. What am I doing? Get ready. I'm jumping on your back, right? He's me, and I'm him, all right? Walk. Just walk. There we go. That's me. No, no, no. Jump down. Let's do it the other way. This is, this is real time. Yeah, let's go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, no. Go on, go on, go on. <laughs> Whoa. Are you good? I'm good. Sure. Now, this is what it feels like as a pastor. <laughs> wow, the legs nearly win. Oh. This is what it feels as a... Oh, my legs are... Whew. I'm about fat these days. Yeah, yeah, you just stay, <laughs> just stay still and hang, hang tight, all right? So, so obviously, we, we, we're running. Ooh. Don't run. No. Don't run. <laughs> just, pretend, just pretend I'm running, all right? <laughs> all right, we're running. So, so Jane's doing a connect group on Monday. I'm doing a connect group on, on Wednesday. Um, we're doing youth, we're, we're doing so. We, but I feel like I'm running with, with a weight that's an unnecessary weight. Are you beginning to shake? 
it must be me. <laughs> so, so, I don't know how I'm going to get you off. <laughs> it feels easier to keep you there than it does to drop you. <laughs> Come down. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, I'm so hot now. I need more food. God, I feel so light. <laughs> Do it every week. I'm going to pick someone new. You next week. I feel so light. It's hilarious. Anyway, that, I guess, is what it would be like spiritually if, if someone says, I can do that, or I can do this, not just for us, but for others that are busy doing something else. Let's take the burden and the weight. I've got a little bit to finish. So the Apostle Paul, let's go back to the Apostle Paul. He's now a believer. He's walking with God. And he's writing the New Testament. He uses certain words. I said that right at the beginning. He uses military terms, sporting terms, accounting terms, and legal terminologies, phrases and descriptions to get his point across to his hearers. All the way through the epistles, you're hearing military, sporting, uh, financial or legal. It's all there. Why? Because he's able to, to bring these things in. And he, at this particular moment in time, he's in Corinth. And he's speaking to the church at Corinth in this particular place. And Corinth, at, at certain times, um, we know Paul was a tent maker. And as a tent maker, he, he, you know, sometimes he didn't take offerings from the church. He had a tent making business. But do you know what? He was very strategic, Paul was. And he went to Corinth at the time that the Isthmian Games were going. That's second only to the Olympic Games. And the Olympic Village, or the Isthmian, or Ith, let me pronounce it correctly, Isthmian Games um, took place in this particular area. And all the competitors and the sports sportsmen and all the rest of it, would camp in the fields. So Paul, in his clever, timely, um, arrived there and was able to do all the tent making and, and getting the tents up for all the people, earning great business at that particular time. He, he, he would have lined his pocket at that particular moment, all the, all the sport and that. But then he went and preached to the church. The, the Isthmian is, 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 is Games... They were held every two years in Corinth, and there Paul happened to be there. And he used this moment to speak to the church, but also to speak to yours and my life. Because the word of God is timeless. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words endure forever. So this is, this is what Paul was saying to the church, and I'm nearly done. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says this, and we're going to pick up with this thought next week. He said, do you not know those who run, run in, a, in, in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Are you, again, I'm going to just throw it out there. You, you, if it lands in your heart, great. Are you running in such a way that you win the prize? And everyone who competes for a prize is temperate. In all things, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable crown. The crown that they used to win at the Ismian Games was a leak 
crown. A leak. They'd have a leak around their head. You think, no wonder it was an imperishable crown. This leak would have just withered within moments of them receiving it, probably. But anyway, it was, a, it was this perishable crown. Verse 26, he says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I'm going to finish with these three thoughts. Whether we like it or not, we are in a race. Every single person on planet Earth is running in this race. It's called the human race. You may never have thought of it that way, but we're all in a race. It is a human race. But are we running in the right lane and heading in the right direction? It's a question for you. Next question, are we running in such a way that we obtain the prize? And then the last question is, are we running our best lap for Jesus? We're all in a race, the human race. Some of us are running for ourselves. Some of us are running because um, we're, we're running for the best job, the best income, the best house, the best car, the best watch, the best, the best, the best. And it's all about running for self. But being a human in a human race, that's the only achievement that you'll ever get. But are we living for God? It all depends on which way the lane is running and which way you're facing. The wide and the broad Jesus said it leads to destruction. The narrow and the difficult, it leads to life, eternity with Jesus. What track are you running on? I'm just going to finish with a prayer this morning. I know we do this most weeks. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray this same prayer after me, repeating it together as a whole congregation. But what I'm going to ask is, if you pray this prayer today for the very first time, or you're praying it and you're saying, God, I'm coming back to you. At the end, if you sincerely pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you just to pop up your hand and then put it back down. Because I believe that today people are wanting to give their life to Jesus. So I'm going to pray. You pray after me. Jesus, I come to you today. And I thank you that you ran a race. You won the prize. And today, Jesus, I want to receive that prize. That prize of eternal life. That prize of purpose. That price of forgiveness. Jesus, forgive me of every wrong and sin I've ever done. And I receive that forgiveness today. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While every head is bowed and every eye closed. You know, we've laughed. We've had thoughts land in our heart this morning. We've had questions thrown at us. But there's one thing left to do. What are we going to do with what we've heard?
The Bible says, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Choose you this day what path, what track you're going to be on. While every head is bowed and every eye closed in this room today, I'm just going to ask, if you prayed this prayer today, would you respond by putting up your hand? I'm going to count to three. By the end of three, if your hand's gone up, that would be great. One, two, three. If you want Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, and you want your life on the right track and heading in the right direction, pop up your hand right now. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody else in this room? Say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I'm going to count down from five. Five, four, three, two, one. Father, I thank you for the one heart, the one soul that today has said yes to Jesus. Lord, I thank you that there is a turning around of their life as they head towards you. And as they walk towards you, Father, I pray that they would be just so enwrapped with your love and that forgiveness that you give. Father, may they encounter you, Lord, in every sphere of their life. Father, we thank you. We rejoice with all heaven today over one who's given their life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic. And uh, for the rest of us, let's run and let's take off every weight like Jono as we move forward.